I'm your chair talk host Nemanja and this is retrospective from the last week episode with Dr. Nico. So the idea is that first to match empathy scores or empathy levels or empathy neural footprint with specific jobs. Because there are job positions that require you to have extremely strong empathy when you cry to cry. But there are others that do not and requires you to have lower emotional empathy. So, so our approach is there is no absolute good or bad. Let's see what your job requires you to be and make sure that your empathy level... So the one is matching. The other though is improving. Because what is wonderful about the brain is maybe you've heard it, neuroplasticity. We understand that the brain actually can change quite fast. Faster than what we thought that personality can just And this is the big hope message that neuroscience is bringing. So we measure leaders, we work, we try to match their brain footprint with, with jobs, but we're also helping them to change, to reinforce some aspects and maybe weaken others so they can become better in life, in what they want to achieve. This is chair, place where we discuss innovations. Uh, inventors dreams about creating new Facebook, new Google, new Amazon, and that's a great goal. But in this path to uh, pursue this goal, they usually can make mistakes because they are not listening to their customers, they're just looking at their products. So on this subject, I have a great pleasure to welcome Pavle Krivokuća, managing partner at uh, Impact Hub Belgrade. Uh, he found himself working in startups since 2014 and uh, overseen more than 400 different startups, their raise and fall. Um, and because of this experience, he's a perfect guy to talk about this today. So, Paolo, welcome to chair. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, at the beginning, uh, I want to start with a personal question and uh, uh, ask you how you uh, end up uh, in this path of guiding the startups. Uh, so that's an, that's an interesting one. So um, I've been working since, I don't know, my, my 12th or 13th year, and I was quite active in youth activism at the time. So it was my high school. I was uh, by incident, you know, like I was working a lot uh, with different projects and programs for youth, and I started developing it. And because I'm coming from Ivanica, for those of you who don't know, a small town in Western Serbia, you know, everybody has raspberries, you know, so everybody's kind of you know, picking raspberries as, as a summer okay. job and, and earning money like that. And I was like, my family doesn't have raspberries. They're not particularly fond of it as a, as, as a way of uh, additional income. And uh, I was thinking, okay, what can I do? So by incident, I started finding myself writing different projects and programs for youth activism and earning money. And I started earning money better than my friends who were picking raspberries for a couple of months' time. I was like, hmm, this, you know, this there life is... something is, in this, There's something right? in this, yeah. And uh, when I moved to university, I already had like four years of uh, project development experience and I started working as a consultant in a very, I would say, young, young age at the time, helping, you know, companies and uh, NGOs and, you know, big and small systems to kind of apply for different kind of funds and develop project cycles, you know, the whole thing. And uh, quite, I would say, fast, like in a year or two time, I was uh, fed up with it. Like the life of a consultant was not one for me. And I've seen the corporate lifestyle as well. And I was like, okay, not my cup of tea. I <laughs> don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And I actually founded my own startup. 
It was like kind of a logical thing to do. I was studying IT back then. And I was like, okay, you know, I have a couple of friends from the university and let's let's do a startup. So we got in the first incubator in in city and uh, yada, 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 yada. We failed, of course, as all people do with of their course. first <laughs> with their first startups. But I quite like the approach and the whole lean in kind of way of thinking and the philosophy, you know, kind of testing and applying what you learn and kind of moving faster to things rather than, you know, developing a complex projects nobody's going to care about in a couple of years time when it starts to be implemented. Um, and that's by incident how I find myself actually meeting Impact Hub founders, Impact Hub Belgrade founders, and joined the team prior to the start because I was kind of had that some experience working with startups, had a failed startup, did here and there a consultancy on kind of you know business model canvas, developing a business model behind that, and then I started working with as a part of Impact Hub, and then kind of just accelerated the whole thing of me uh, living the lean way uh, of of kind of. Um, thinking and also approaching different kind of, um, you know, problems that we tackle in a business life, but also like in a personal life. So it's kind of, yeah, that, that's how I ended up in, in, the, whole, in the whole thing. Yeah. So um, before we move to the startups itself, uh, I want to ask you a question uh, regarding uh, difference. And mm-hmm. that, that's our subject today here. Yeah. Difference between invasion, uh, innovation and invasions. Uh, um, they exist separately yeah. um, and to what extent they thrive on each other mm. I want you to elaborate on that a bit so uh, I would say there, there are two yeah there are two perspectives so uh, by default people like to have that romantic view of innovation it's like oh we're gonna make a next big thing whatever the big thing might be is it the next Facebook next Google or next telephone or whatever and people like to create things that are gonna make impact to other people life environment speaking you know uh, society speaking whatever uh, but the thing is those innovations are so 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 rare like it's super hard to find something completely new and different that somebody hasn't already thought about it. If and you, in specific moment. And yeah, yeah. And if you think about it, it's kind of logical because if you take like, there's like, I don't know, 7 billion people on the planet currently and that we pretty much have the same hardware. So we have a similar mind, like minds and capabilities of minds you, to a certain extent, like plus and minuses. Um, you know, uh, people already thought of, of a bunch of different things already. So, and they tested it out and see. And so it's quite connected to the proper timing. So if you look like, I don't know, mobile technology, for instance, uh, and everybody, yeah, everybody has a mobile phone today, but mobile phone technology is 40 years old. So it started in the 80s and it started as a geek side project of a bunch of engineers. And then it went on for 10 years like that be- before it becoming a posh thing to have in the 90s with the yuppies, you know, they're like installing their first mobile phone in the cars and speaking, you know, with their brokers or, uh, you know, lawyers with their high-tech just to clients. be seen by speaking. Yeah, right? but like having that big <laughs> brick in your hand and an antenna sticking out of your car. But the, the, the mass market mobile phones came in the third decade of mobile phone technology. So even though the inventor of mobile phone technology had the big innovation, it didn't have the commercial breakthrough till much later on. There. So by default, a bunch of things that we call innovations are actually inventions. So like using the existing either technology or solution or specific kind of, uh, I would say, physical product in a different way. So it's like, you know, uh, if you look at Airbnb, for instance, like if you if you take a look at them, they had an innovation on the level they they approached the same problem in a, in a, I would say, a bit different manner. But if you if you kind of dissect it, 
it's you know they didn't uh, you know create a completely different platform and a new language for coding it use the existing ones, they did um, a build-up on existing models. So you already had people posting, you know, space rental and room rentals on Craigslist list, on, you know, Reddit, on different kind of platforms back in the day, offering that. They just said, okay, there is this opportunity that we can solve by providing a dedicated place for people to rent out their home or room or whatever when they are not there or if they have a added space. That's it. So I would say by definition, it's not innovation as per se, but it did impact a whole bunch of people. And we all know how big Airbnb today is or Uber or Facebook or any, any different network. People often forget, you know, the, the MySpaces and all the other yeah. social networks prior to the Facebook because they existed. They just didn't make the kind of proper formula to become so mass marketed, so popular and uh, commercially successful, so they become today. So by default, I would say that the space for entrepreneurs, the space for innovators, is in that actually finding that uh, invention spaces, because that can make a, a drastic differences. Either you're gonna make it or break it down the line, because you know, for the sake of innovation, you can always innovate. You know, you can always find a new way to make a cup. Yeah, uh, but uh, it will st still be a cup. It will still be a cup, <laughs> and it's fine, you know. If it's giving it any value, like you know, if it's a recyclable cup or a cup made of, I don't know, coffee beans of or whatever, I, you know. Uh, but it's still a cup serving certain function and then giving some additional value. Um, but yeah, you need to kind of balance out different aspects of it and understand the 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 market on the other end. So what can actually be made happen in this time? Uh, and space that we currently have. Let's apply this this analysis on your experience yeah. and the experience with the startup that you worked. It's more than a four hundred right right now. Uh, give me some examples that uh, that uh, we can uh, use for this analysis. Yeah. So uh, a, sh a short intro uh, to, to that is I would say. Um, it applies to the general I would say population of the world, but I would say people in Balkans have a a different like a twist on it like when we are you know as i said everybody likes to innovate so when we get connected to that big idea you know everybody's oh that's my baby i really want to make it you know happen and what whatever so uh what we've seen is like uh, and the short stories i'm going to share like what we've seen is that um journey of actually people understanding and feeling on their skin uh that context of actually finding their self working on a specific invention rather than a complex innovation. So one of my, I would say, definitely favorite and I would say oldest cases that we have, since we've been working with, uh, with founder Nikitsa for uh, six years now and we're following him on and supporting him on different, uh, different journeys. So he started off in 2015 and the platform was called Zeleno. So it was basically the first uh, platform for people to order and buy organic food in Serbia. So they didn't exist before in that case. You have people trying to sell it on like small Facebook groups or by, you know, putting a stand near supermarkets or whatever, trying to offer their food. But for small organic food producers back in the day, there was no kind of one-stop shop for them to help to distribute their product. Uh, so he built that. He built like the first e-commerce for buying, uh, you know, uh, organic food in Serbia. So what, what happened there, he raised some investments, uh, he hit traction, he had, I think at one point, 50 weekly users buying, you know, on, on Belgrade alone from him. And the platform worked like you had, uh, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 different organic producers. You pick, you know, your products, add them to the cart. 
they would make a tour on Thursday, collect all the things, and on Friday it would be delivered to your doorstep with everything in short. He figured out a bunch of, you know, along the way, uh, logistical problems with that, and him building a system, he was on a, I would say, um, um, on a on a on a front of the customers' bad feedback of the specific products, okay, which are not intentional, but you know, like if you know, I had my I don't know cheese uh, that I ordered, but the cheese wasn't properly packed and it's actually went went bad in the transportation because it was not bad packed. They wouldn't complain to the producer, but rather to Zelano as a platform. So Nikitz, along the way, he figured that he, he would like to pivot from that. He uh, there were some logistical problems that he just didn't feel personally uh, invited to solve or. Uh, they were too big to solve at that point in time because the, the market was still super young, super small. So what he did, he pivoted from that because he's seen a very interesting point, which is kind of ironic. He was packing all the organic food there in the styrofoam boxes, which is, you know, stupid. <laughs> I would say. You're, you're selling <laughs> organic in something that's completely... Completely yeah. non-organic. So um, uh, what he said, yeah, this is super, super crazy, but uh, we, uh, we need a different kind of, why don't we offer something different on the market? And he learned that um, a bunch of uh, sheep wool that is being actually produced here is second or third quality. So it's not good for kind of, uh, you know, your attire or like jumpers or whatever you are building from it, but rather it's usually being um, thrown away or burned because nobody's buying that up. So he figured out a way to buy that, uh, wool that is just going away and being wasted away and the wool is amazing thermal material and he started building kind of uh, material out of it like pressed foam that had better thermal uh, you know uh, properties than the styrofoam and it was actually cheaper so he started building it in wooden boxes with the foam and then he pivoted from that to the to the only kind of wool kind of fillings and he's now selling to Austrian Post. He raised a bunch of investment. He has his manufacturing plant here near Belgrade, and he's collecting that all wasted wool and buying it out from the uh, from the farms and putting it in the end product. So he shifted from e-commerce in food to logistics supply chain, specifically for kind of sustainable logistics and supply chain. Incredible, he, yeah. Yeah, and he had a, a whole, but his his learning. He had I think like four or five different big pivots. And the pivots were different companies <laughs> along the way, testing it out until he found something that really is uh, kind of connecting to the market, but also has a big buyer to it and is connected to the kind of big problem because the styrofoam has a very limited kind of lifespan and it's also kind of super problematic because it ends up in, you know, as a microplastics in, you know, uh, uh, oceans and yada, 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 yada. So, and... Um, he completely kind of figured out a new way to solve it, but not coming, hey, how can we solve these big logistic issues and ah, let's do like this, but rather from listening to his customers and seeing yeah. what's happening in, the, in practice and then finding his niche there so he can kind of you know, jump there and, uh, and, and solve that problem. Uh, so yeah, that's one, one, one of the stories. Um, uh, additional one, again, interesting would be a story of Sportifico. Again, completely different, completely different industry, completely different thing. So they started off as a local startup building um, a social network for professional athletes. So different kind of athletes, football players, basketball players, whatnot. Uh, they had quite nice couple of thousands of users of professional profiles built up there, you know, with all the juicy logistics interesting for either potential coaches or recruiting agents or whatever. And they figure out a bunch of their users 
quite active on the platform were actually female soccer players, professional female soccer players. And uh, they understood that at one point they were gathering a huge chunk of to complete total global number of female soccer players. And they were like, why, why is this happening? Like, why are they coming in such a big number to our platform? And actually figure out there is no dedicated platform for female football slash soccer, play soccer players to actually uh, come and build their profiles, build their visibility. They're using either regular social media or, you know, old channels to kind of build up their profiles. And they did a complete pivot and now they're pivoting towards building a completely dedicated platform for female soccer players to actually... Uh, provide them the voice and a platform to raise awareness of the of the specific sports, but more importantly of the fairness of the wages on uh, kind of promoting um, the whole sport to young girls, yada yada da. And uh, they were able to build nice partnerships with big sporting companies from there, and they have the completely big perspective and potential of that entire market because nobody's nobody was doing that. But then again, they didn't come from. <laughs> <laughs> saying, oh, let's be something amazing for female soccer players, but rather seeing that from practice as a, as a niche they can kind of tackle and, and go to. Uh, so yeah, bottom line is kind of understanding um, the opportunity, but I would say it's quite important to understand it, understand it through practicing it on a kind of daily basis as what are our customers telling us, what is the market telling us, and coming back with that feedback to actually build the solution they are looking for. And I would say that's the biggest kind of switch in, 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 in the mindset. Like you're not building the solution. You're trying to solve the problem and then build whatever the solution you, know, you, you, you want. It's to be not about of. the technology or platform. Yeah. It's about uh, solving the that problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. because the, the technology, you know, it's like, you know, art per art. You, know, like you, always, you can always build it. You can always innovate with the new, new technology. Especially lately with all the technology yeah. that arises. Uh, but it's quite hard to kind of find the usable cases for it right away. You need time to kind of let it breathe. And like kind of, because it's the same story with the blockchain. You know, it's the, the, the technology to build it existed and the theoretical framework existed for a couple of decades. Uh, but it needed time and needed the, the, the community to stand behind and say, this is an amazing thing to do, let's do it and test it out together and see what happens. And now it's coming a, a regular part of our lives. So yeah, it, it comes also to the point of it being mature enough, but also you finding a smart way to use it in a proper manner to solve somebody's problem yeah. in, a, in a proper manner. So you gave me those two great examples. Um, but I want to ask you from the different perspective because usually uh, goal for the young entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. for innovators, uh, can sometimes be to push their invention to, to, to merge with some big corporation. What do you think about that? Mm. Uh, is it, uh, can you share with me uh, uh, pros and cons for this? Mm. So definitely, it's, I think it's one way to do it, it's a natural thing to do, but maybe a, a step before is you know, debunking the perspective. So if we're speaking about the startup growth model, you have generally like two, I wouldn't say opposing, but two approaches. You can build your business, you can kind of mainstream your innovation into kind of being. So first one, it's a regular business. So in a regular business, what you do, you basically say, hey, we have this idea, we're approaching this market, yada, yada, yada. 
and we need an investment for it. Usually you need round, one round of investment to make it happen. And then you're looking for profitability in like a year and a half, two years tops usually. And then you achieve certain market and you have a steady, healthy growth rate annually, 10, 15%, not more than that, because you're either over, overscaling and then you cannot follow with the quality and you have a completely different set of problems. So that's, a, I would say, a regular business model, you know, give or take a couple of factors. The startup model, and then not speaking about people who started up, because quite often people say, oh, we are startup, because we just started up. No, it's not a startup. <laughs> uh, startup model is connected. You are solving, a, again, specific problem to specific on this market, yada, yada, yada. And you say, say there is a big global potential to be served with a relatively small team. Again, classic example of a startup is Instagram. When it was acquired by Facebook, it had 70-something employees you know, serving 30-something million people on Instagram and they were acquired for some billions of dollars. Yeah, so that's a, that's a successful... 16, 16, something, yeah, something like, like that, some, some crazy amount. Um, the logic behind that was uh, the startups very rarely become profitable, but they are serving a specific need for a bunch of people, you know, through a you know, digital platform, app, uh, community, whatever... Uh, and the potential behind it is seen by somebody big. It can be a big corporation. So now these days, big buyers of startups are Amazon, Google, Facebook, you know, whatever. Like Amazon is buying, like I think, something like 10 or 20 startups a day, something like that. So, But the logic there is, you know, of course, you can get acquired and you are building a startup to be bought by somebody big down the line. What startups usually make is a mistake they do the acquisition or do the sales of their business concept, IP, whatever, too early. And they sell it for a couple of hundred of thousands of euros or tens of thousands of euros early stage on because they didn't kind of build that. But somebody came in and said, oh, this is amazing. We really need this. We'd like to invest that. And they would take 20, 30, 50% of your startup and you become uninvestable in later stages. And we've seen those examples on the market, like people jumping in, they found a big, even corporate investors, they would, you know, say, yeah, amazing, we love the service, build it for us. And then when you start approaching different customers, they figure out, oh, you build a perfect solution for, for one big guy and it's not relevant. You know, it's at that point, you just build, a, you know, internally <laughs> a super nice project that is uh, adding, adding value to a bank or to a company. And for, that's it. And that's it. And you're, you're, you're done there. So usually, if you're speaking about the acquisitions and the, the big kind of startup exits, it's down the line. You raise a couple of rounds in investments. You're serving a relatively big global market and somebody big is going to buy you for big money, you know. Um, and there were examples like that happening here, like, you know, MVP and GoDaddy and, you know, stuff like that. So those things happen. But if you, if you, if you look at those startups, they were building a quite big user base. They were building, had a really nice traction. They had even hundreds of employees prior to actually getting bought by somebody big. And that's, I would say that the startups make uh, the mistake they, they, they jump into making a partner of or selling a piece of their uh, business to a big player uh, early on and they by default fade out. They become a really nice and cheaply bought internal project of a company that is, you know, being bought by a couple of hundred of thousands of euros, which is nothing for big players. Um, and they're, yeah, fine, we did some innovation, we, we did some value add and that's it. 
Uh, and usually founders, don't, they don't see the bigger perspective. So they need to learn how to play that game of actually building your profile uh, down the line so you are buying and building it for somebody big and some big exit uh, down the line. So whoever it is, you say, oh, we are now, I don't know, trying to build a completely different, I don't know, let's say, social network for sportists or female soccer players. So who's your buyer? Is it a Nike or Adidas or, you know, something like that? But down the line, like you're speaking three, five, seven years timeline. Exactly. So you're building from grounds up the, 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 the numbers, the indicators, the cases, so that somebody big can acquire down the line. But that's the, that's the, I would say, the, the, key, the key point there. Because it's a natural thing to do. As a startup, otherwise, if you're not going towards that big exit, uh, option is to go for a small exit, the, the case that I mentioned, or you pivot and go to the digital business. So you can become a really nice digital business that turns quite nice profit and margins, but then you're stabilizing, you have a smaller number of clients, you have you know, a limited number of team members, so you're locking up your margins, you are locking up your market, and that's it. You, you, you are not coming or you know, spreading big to different niches, to you know, different markets, whatever is happening there. Um, so yeah, you're kind of just thinking about who's going to uh, be interested in buying that and how can we build it from grounds up in that manner so it's viable but somebody big down the line. Otherwise, you're just kind of playing by the ear and see what happens, which is, again, fine strategy. It can be good because quite often uh, even the, the biggest kind of business gurus don't know where the market is going to go or what's going to happen. But then you need to kind of be checking on your pulse each now and then and saying, what are we doing and why are we doing that? Uh, and we've seen along the years a number of startups actually breaking out, not because only they had um, you know, bad product or bad market fit. They did have good potential and good growth, but the founders in between themselves uh, had different whys of where are we going. And somebody wanted to be sold to a local corporation in a six months and be done with it. Somebody wanted to, to, to go and drive the big growth in a couple of years time and somebody wanted just to have a nice service digital business which, can, which is making money, making profit and that's it. And uh, it changed, it changes along the way between the founders. So the, the communication I would say there is key but also kind of understanding the market reality, you know, what's in house and where's, so what can you expect of because uh, for a startup, it's quite uh, you know uh, hard to say. Oh, we're gonna be the next Instagram. There's tens of thousands of startups each year saying they're gonna be the next exactly Instagram. Exactly the same thing. So don't be the next Instagram. Be the next solving that very specific niche problem in a different and a quality and a cool way for your users, and find it the the big guy or the big guys or the, the whatever who uh, have that problem or whose audience have that problem. So solve those kind of problems in a proper way and then you'll be able to, to, kind, of, to kind of buy it. Because like the Instagrams of the world, they're outdated. It's 2010 thing to do. Yeah. Like the, you don't build a new Instagram in 2021. It's too late. <laughs> it's too late now. <laughs> yeah. You gave me so many good examples of pivoting and uh, I like that because we pivoted our talk today yeah. from, from <laughs> invention and innovations to startups and let's, let's finish with this. Yeah. And uh, uh, I want to ask you regarding uh, your opinion from your experience, you're like six years in, the, is the, in this ecosystem, yeah. right? Six, seven years, yeah. something like that. Um, what is your perspective 
especially for the region, Southeast Europe mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, where we are now, mm-hmm. and uh, we are talking about the ecosystem, of course, where we are now and where we are going to be in five or ten years from now. Yeah. So maybe also then wrapping up from the first part of the conversation and yeah. just connecting him back to it. So uh, we have a really cruel and great engineering talent. That's a, that's a known, I would say, fact now on the market. And people see that, you know, uh, people from abroad, investors from abroad, the market is gaining traction and potential. And there are more and more investors coming in looking for a solid team they can build on. Um, the thing is, we, we all collectively need more business development insight and more business development experience to make these kind of deals. And people don't know that they, they, they you know, the engineers who build amazing innovations are not able to transfer it in a usable inventions that yeah. can be usable, you know, for those buyers, for their customers, for those markets and grow it in a sustainable fashion. So uh, the, the thing is like the, the, the ecosystem is gaining traction. There are, there are more and more investors and there is more and more money coming in the market. The trick is not even in the money, but finding the proper money and a proper partner to grow your idea to the next level with that bigger perspective. And I would say uh, the, the risk taking, I would say it, it kind of is, is uh, getting a better, better and better each year, like more and pe- more people are trying and doing and testing and seeing what happens. What we still lack are those big, um, I would say successes on the whole market level. Like things are happening, th- people had some exits, uh, things are moving, you know, st- stuff is happening, but we still need some big stories like, you know, uh, Estonia had uh, Skype or whatever, somebody big who's going to break the ice and say, this is the new, new big success. But um, otherwise than that, I think the, the whole ecosystem is, um, is giving many, um, many opportunities now and you can actually find a bunch of, you know, people, organizations, VCs, angel investors, stuff like that. Uh, to kind of uh, help you grow in a proper manner is just a sense of you understanding what you need and uh, navigating through that complex landscape and knowing where you are going uh, from that point on. Pablo, thank you so much for this conversation today. <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot. Hope you did too. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> and for, sure. for you out there, uh, if you liked it, uh, subscribe and uh, see you next Thursday when we talk about some new innovations. Thank you.